Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, it's the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. Got another great show for you today because I'm bringing you an entrepreneurial guy from Fargo, North Dakota. I had him on my Business of Agriculture podcast a while back, and I said, you are an entrepreneur. You're a smart dude. You're a business guy. I want you to be on the Do Business Better podcast so my listeners can learn from you. His name is Nick Horeb. Nick started Harvest Profit, a farm management software company. They focus on the money and the numbers of farming, which is, after all, a business with millions and millions of dollars of capital being uh, moved and exchanged and invested every day on these farming operations. They needed a product. Nick Horeb saw a need, started this company four years ago. He's in his fourth year. He's got 440 customers right now and still growing. Nick Horeb, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. Thanks for having me, Damien. Look forward to uh, chatting today. Well, we had a good time on our last call, and that's why I really wanted you to come back, and I'm so glad you're here. Tell me a little bit about you and the background of Harvest Profit. Yeah, so I'm the founder of Harvest Profit. We make farm management software that's focused on the number side of farming. And so I know not a lot of, not everybody here is going to be familiar with agriculture, but there's a ton of technology and tools on the you know, excuse my language, but the sexy side of farming, um, satellite imagery, variable rate, fertilizer, um, looking at crops, recording crops. But at the end of the day, farming is a manufacturing business and it is a for-profit enterprise. And farmers historically like to grow the crop. They like to be in the field, but watching the numbers isn't the most fun thing to do. And we make it easier for them to stay on top of their cost, profit, revenue tracking so they can make, you know, at the end of the day, so they can make less emotional and more uh, educated and objective decisions, which ultimately in our opinion leads to more profitability. Yeah. So the folks listening to this podcast are probably not agricultural. They might be. The main thing is, as you said, I think it's great, is you sell this to farmers. And if your image, dear listener, is some guy in bib overalls and a pitchfork and a squealing pig in his hand, shame on you. This is a modern enterprise. Nick's got customers that farm thousands and thousands of acres, which have millions and millions of dollars of, uh, you know, real estate and capital improvements, uh, you know, the grain handling facilities, and then of course the machinery. So these are businesses that you can help. You're not a technology person, even though you're a software company guy, you were a business guy that saw a need. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I was doing consulting work for farms and doing a lot of work in spreadsheets and spreadsheets just aren't great when you're working in a collaborative fashion. You know, this was before Google Sheets and some of the cloud-based tools really took off. And so we were sharing spreadsheets back and forth and the data would get stale and you'd be, you'd be, you know, you'd each be working on a different version. And so I really saw the need for um, a web-based tool to really help me work be better work with my customers. And if I could streamline that process, I could potentially grow my customer base by, uh, you know, 50, a hundred percent. If I had better tools in place to manage the, manage the data. Um, but what I found is 
a lot of our, a lot of my customers really valued the relationship and we had built up, you know, not only a business relationship, but a friendship. And so then here I come offering this tool and it's not something they asked for. It's not something they initially were sold when I signed them up. And so the, the reception of the software tool was actually lukewarm and it was fairly deflating because I spent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours and, you know, pretty much all of my money to build that tool. Um, but then I started sharing the tool on social media with friends, colleagues, and people like, man, this is really cool. And so for a while there, I thought I just built myself a fancy toy. Um, and that wasn't the end of the world because it did make my life easier. But once I started sharing it and putting it out in the world, I uh, was able to get some feedback and just started signing up customers. You had, uh, you talked to me before, you had put some money into something. So you're a business guy, you're a consultant guy, you see a need, you know, this is obviously entrepreneurialism 101. You see a need, you see something that the marketplace needs and, and you perceive there's going to be a demand for it. You put your own money up and you were a young guy because right now you're what, 36 years old? 35. You're 35 years old right now. So you began this company as a 31 year old. And prior to that, you were still a young guy and you put your own money into something and it flopped. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I, I found a site called Elance, which is now called Upwork where you can hire freelancers. And I think they have something like a hundred thousand freelancers. And once I found out, I had somebody do a little project for me, I think a little graphic design and they finished it in an hour. And I was amazed. It was somebody from India or around the world that did this project for 20 bucks. And then I realized they can build software. And so I immediately hired somebody like really impulse and started working on this project. I didn't know anything about project management and which programming languages are the best. And so, you know, pretty soon started, they started, you know, they're at a very reasonable rate, but it started, you know, a few hundred bucks, a few hundred dollars, a few thousand. And, and next thing you know, we had this just really sloppy piece of code that looked like crap and didn't work and realized that, wow, I just spent, you know, ten dollars $12,000 on that. And then I went ahead and did that again um, <laughs> because I thought it was, I, I blamed the developer, but what really it was me. Like I didn't know about software development and, and all the nuances that go into that. So yeah, I pretty much, that was kind of two strikes for me on, uh, you know, blowing ten, fifteen thousand dollars, you know, twice in a couple of years. And everybody listening to this podcast that runs their own uh, business says, "Oh God, you mean I'm not the only one that did something stupid?" And then thought, "Wait a minute, it was not me. It was the the vendor." or it was the supplier. So I'm going to change and find a different vendor or supplier and you get the same result. It's because yeah. you didn't know for sure what you were doing or what you needed. Is that kind of the learning, the lesson there? Well, that is exactly correct. And then the, the realization I had was I did pretty good in school. Um, I, I have a learning mindset. And so I, I realized that, all right, I'm fairly smart. I need to understand a little bit more about the technology and the programming and coding uh, and so I spent maybe six, seven months teaching myself how to program and realized that for me to go from a complete novice to somebody who's got a strong intermediate skill set, I just wasn't going to get there in, in a timely fashion. Um, and so I found somebody local. So I kind of, I went against the trend of, you know, you I was reading books like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week where it's like outsource your stuff to cheap labor. 
well, sometimes cheap labor isn't the best. And so I ended up ponying up and finding somebody good local who's expensive, but that was the best decision I made. And, and then the state of North Dakota actually had a grant program at the time. It was $32,500 that you could, if you did a match. And so I was able to, I think I took 10 or 12,000, my last 10 or $12,000 was able to leverage that using this grant program to get the first product built and I actually knew it was quality because I spent a little bit of time learning it. So I needed to become, I didn't need to become an expert first, but I needed to become knowledgeable. And that was, that's when my path kind of changed. Um, and the, the road got a little easier for me. So you put money into this. You started it four years ago. You're going along right now. And you told me, yeah, you're making money. You're not killing it. You, you need more clients. You're getting more clients, more customers. And you're in that, uh, you know what? Making you're making money right now, but it's not where you want to be. Tell me about the path and the money. Sure. So, I was doing consulting, and I was doing fairly well. Um, I was making a solid living, and but then I was pumping a lot of it back into the software, and finally started getting some traction. I wasn't taking a draw from the software business, uh, and then all of a sudden, we got I got to the point where I wanted to go on vacation. Um, and it was just me and I had really nobody to do customer support and the, the consulting firm that, was, that had built the product, you know, they'd bill out at $130 an hour. And so they handled my customer support when I was gone. Then I realized that I need to bring some people on. And over time I kept, you know, I, I had my full-time job of consulting. I was adding new customers and all of a sudden you know, I wake up and there's a hundred thousand dollars in our, in the company's checking account. And so I finally realized, you know, and I was just kind of planning for disaster. Like this thing is going to just crash and burn. So I got to, that's my piggy, but you know, that's my, my rainy day fund. I just got to sit on that and sit on that. And finally I realized, you know, if this is going to be a business, I got to hire somebody. And so I hired a, a really good young software engineer to come work with me full time. And that was, and you know, that was in August of 2017 we hired somebody else in December of that year. And yeah, it really just came down to the point where we had some money to hire some people. And then um, I was actually talking to, talking to another businessman and telling him about our business. And he asked how the software was going and I shared with him the numbers. And he's like, so it sounds like you can take your compensation from your consulting and slot it right into the software and not take a pay cut. And I'm like, yeah, that's about right. He's like, what are you doing? You know, this consulting business has very little end value. You know, it's a great living, but at the end of the day, there isn't much left there. And you have this software business that has 0.1% of the farmers in, in America. You know, what if you get to 5%? Like you got to go with that. And so that was kind of a, uh, an awakening for me to finally make the decision that I needed to pick my path here and go all in on the software. And so I, I did that a little over a year ago. Yeah. So that's what's interesting. Everybody listening to this podcast has probably been the old fork in the road thing. Okay. You're a service provider. You were a consultant. That is a service provider like me. when I deliver speeches, uh, that means I'm a service provider. I, my service is making their meetings a big success, whatever. Uh, but you only get paid when you're working. That's the thing about being a service provider. A dentist only makes money when she is fixing teeth. 
you know, uh, a lawyer only makes money when he or she bills uh, billable time. That's a service provider's uh, lament. You were a service provider doing fine, and the aha moment sounds like to me was when it dawned on you, you've got one-tenth of one percent of the farmers as customers right now. What the hell? What if you just got to one percent? That would be 10 times what you currently have right now, and that's got the scalability, as they like to say, at, uh, at business meetings, right? Yeah, yep, exactly. You know, the scalability of it and actually, you know, building an asset and building a company that isn't so dependent on me, uh, you know, has a lot of appeal uh, and, and had a lot of appeal. And that's where I, I kind of bit the bullet and, and went all in on the software. You know, I, I've known people in other businesses, you know, so let's say you're, you get into sales out of college, but you're slinging drinks and bartending on the side. Well, if you have that side income, that's like a crutch, right? It's hard to really maximize your potential uh, in your career or in a business if you have that crutch. And so I could have kept doing some consulting and, and probably maximized my near-term income a little more, but I probably would have shortchanged the, you know, the, the path forward for harvest profit if I would have done that. And so I, it was kind of an interesting thing because I had to, I had 35 clients at the time. And by that time they were all pretty much friends. And so I had to kind of, I told somebody, everybody was like, congrats, congrats, congrats. You're, you're jumping over to the software business. And I said, well, yeah, I have to break up with 35 people this week. Like that's not fun thing to do. And that was not a fun thing to do because I, you know, there was a, a fair amount of disappointment because we built up a good working relationship. But at the end of the day, um, you can kind of spread yourself too thin and, that's what I was doing. And I needed to, to focus on what really, um, what I got the most enjoyment out of. And that was building the software company. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. You said some smart stuff, which you say lots of smart stuff. That's why I've got you on here. By the way, this is Nick Horeb. He's the founder and uh, do you call yourself a CEO? COO? What are you? Founder, president? Founder, CEO, yeah. Founder and CEO of Har Harvest Profit, a, an agricultural software company. Uh, but, you know, the lessons in business really are the same for all of us, no matter what we do. You were a service provider doing well, and you said, I've got to break up with these customers. You know, I just had a client on, or I'm sorry, a guest on, and he said it was his goal to fire the bottom 10% of his clients every year, meaning he wanted to get so good and so in demand that he could keep losing the bottom 10% of his clientele. Because we all have this thing of growth is uncomfortable sometimes because we have to change our relationships. We have to go in a different direction. You had to make the decision to not be the consultant anymore. And like you said, it was a crutch, but also it was comfortable. You're making money. Yeah. Uh, did you yeah. have some sleepless nights? You know, to be honest, I, I didn't have too many sleepless nights. Um, the only, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this at all in our prior podcast, but I made the decision last year to raise a little bit of money for our business. So we raised $280,000. And once you do that, you know, you can't just take draws out of the corporate account anymore. You know, once you have investors, you have to, you know, you pay yourself a salary and it's all fixed. But when I was doing consulting, if I wanted to buy, you know, if an opportunity, like I had an opportunity to, to buy a little dumpy lake cabin, um, during the, when the real estate market was 
pretty poor in 2010 and I was able to just go and hustle and get six or seven more clients and make the down payment and, and things were good. Well now in the software business, I can't just go hustle and, and make, you know, and, and increase my earnings. So going from, uh, you know, more of a, it was really a sales job where if you want to get more business, you just go and make it happen. And now I can't really do that. So I'm, uh, you know, on a little bit of a fixed, uh, you know, a, a fixed income, which is there should be, you know, there is no problems, but it's just a different mindset on a different, uh, different mindset. So here's the thing. Are you beholden? Because one thing that I have always been uh, independence is very important to me. I don't have to, while we all answer to our clients, we all work for our customers. That's, that's true. No matter who you are. Uh, I don't have investors that own a part of any of my operation. I, uh, I like that, but you had to bring in some investors. You're still the person calling the shots, right? Yep. What's your obligation? Yep. What's the obligation to your investors? you know, there's some contractual obligation. You know, there's a, a fiduciary um, responsibility. And then there's a, there was a contractual obligation that I can't use that money that we raised for personal expenses. So the, basically you're, you're prohibited from just saying, Oh, I raised, we raised 280,000. Well, I'm just going to take a hundred of that and go pay off my mortgage or something. So you can't really, you know, you can't really do that. And then, frankly, we haven't spent any of that money um, we got down to, you know, without it, we would have gotten down to just having a few thousand dollars in the checking account, but because we raised the money, you know, that would have been pretty darn stressful if I would have, you know, all of a sudden went from, you know, 50,000 to 20 to five. And then our seasonality of our cash flow kicks in and, and comes back up again. Um, so really, you know, we haven't used any of it. Um, but it's given us the comfort to go from making small, you know, doing small little $500,000 marketing experiments to doing, you know, $5,000 experiments. So it's, it's just kind of a different mindset. And, you know, at the end of the day, it has, you know, we're not a business that's going to raise seven rounds of capital and IPO. It just isn't the reality of the market we're in. Um, but it's been valuable to, you know, have some, some cushion. And do you see, some, do you see harvest profit being a publicly traded company someday? No, no. Okay. So you that's, see, just, that's just not the reality of, of our, of our market. I mean, we could, but we'd be one of these like pink sheet companies that, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you, if you are right now, you've got one tenth of 1% of the marketplace, let's say you got 450, 500 customers. Uh, and, and you're doing okay, but you know that you could probably double that without really changing much in terms of what happens at your company. And that, that's going to be really essentially all profit because your expenses won't change a lot. And that's where a lot of businesses are. They've already got everything in place. Everything that new, you know, it's the old thing about your variable costs don't vary that much. Uh, is it possible for you to double? Do you think one year from now, if I talk to you, you'll have double the amount of customers? Probably not double, but maybe 50%. Okay. Um, we've, we've, yet, we've, we've yet to find a, you know, a, a scalable, profitable marketing model um, that just needs more gas to pour on it. Um, we're going to kind of, you know, farmers are a unique breed and, you know, they're not, you know, you, you don't send them seven cold emails and then get, 
10% medium. That's just, you know, a, a more of a, a unique market, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, the reality of our business is, um, we're, you know, we have really high customer satisfaction. Um, you know, we could potentially sell different products. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that there isn't a ton of potential, but you know, the reality where we're at is, you know, we can be a pretty, you know, let's say you have in the, you know, seven figures of revenue and, you know, you're doing it with a half dozen people. Like we can treat our customers great, build great products and we don't need this big giant team. Um, the, yeah. the, 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 the secret of this whole venture capital raising a bunch of money is, you know, they, they, they push on you to spend it. And then, cause that either that really quickly filters out who's the winner and who's the loser and the losers die because they run out of money <laughs> and then the winner. And then the winners, they get to keep putting more money, more money and more money. And if you look at the average, and this is technology companies, you know, the average technology company that IPOs, the founders own about 10%, you know, somewhere average, you know, seven to, you know, let's just say eight to 18% of the business. Um, and if the, if those, if a lot of those companies would have just slowed down slightly, the founders could probably own half of the business. Yeah. And that's it, just not how the, no, the, the business model is such that they, the investors come in and say, we're going to keep growing. And then the word remember scalability is becomes this thing of how many times can you say it at the board meeting? And then it becomes pour more money in, pour more money in. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's that on. Hey, by the way, I made a decision because you're so smart that we're going to make this a two part podcast. So dear listeners, I'm going to now sign off because I know you're driving to work. You, you're at your workout. You don't want to stay with us more than about 21 minutes. And that's where we are. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back with my friend, Nick Horeb of Harvest Profit. Nick, tell these wonderful people how they can find you. Then we're going to just record a second one right as soon as we're done with this. But please give these people how they can find Harvest Profit. So harvestprofit.com. Um, I'm also active on Twitter, just Nick Horob, and that's H-O-R-O-B as in boy. All right. Till next time, there's going to be a part two, and we're going to talk a lot about some of the personal traits, habits, and lessons also that Nick Horob can share with you. So till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast.